This athletic podcast is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and in-play markets, along with instant match updates for all games. The Bet365 Bet Builder also allows you to make personalised bets via the app, so you can bet on multiple scenarios and correct your own bet with unique odds right there in your hand. Bet365 is the world's favourite online betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store, over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to From the Rooker Inn, brought to you by The Athletic. This is our preview podcast ahead of Watford's away trip to Crystal Palace. My name is John, with me is Mike. Oh John, oh John, 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 what a joy to speak to you. <laughs> well it is a joy uh, for many reasons, because yeah, this is the preview podcast, but we, 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 there's the one after the game that we won 3-0 against Liverpool. But Mike, you, you, you weren't there, uh, for very good reasons, Um how are you feeling about about it all? Well, yeah, I wasn't. I was probably as close to it um, as you could be without actually being there because I was lucky enough to be staying in uh, a five star hotel in in Watford the Grove. I was there for the weekend, so I actually saw the players before the game uh, and some of them afterwards. So I felt a part of it right up until kick off at at five o'clock, where I was. Uh, I wasn't even watching it on TV. It was my um, girlfriend's birthday, so we had a lovely weekend away with some friends, and we're completely outside the. Out the bubble, outside the bubble, until the the news came through that it, uh, well, the news came through that Watford had done the uh, the unthinkable, and that's when the floodgates opened. Really, I was getting text messages from people I haven't heard from ages, uh, WhatsApp, the phone, loads of missed calls on my phone. It was incredible, and I I wonder whether I almost enjoyed it more not being there. Controversially, well, sort of, but you, you know, I, I I half thought you know you, you you're not a fan of going to Anfield after was it six <laughs> two a few years ago that you uh, you had to suffer. I've seen um, a couple of horror shows there, yeah, 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 a fair too many, uh, and the fact that it was your you say girlfriend, uh, but it was her eleventh birthday. It's a leap year, remember everybody. Uh, but uh, you know, it, it, it's that sort of thing. I think. If you, I think following it and not being there is even worse for people who were sort of trying to follow it as as it happened. Uh, for me, it, I, you know, looking back on it, it's just such a weird experience because I was there and I I was I remember celebrating that first goal with a celebration, but it wasn't full on. It wasn't we've done it. It wasn't that sort of most of the time when I, I celebrate, it's just a, it's a release uh, of, of energy, but it was like, I don't think I can release this yet. And I said to the podcast, it took till the 85th minute where I actually thought, oh, we can do this. <laughs> I do remember Richard, who I sit next to, actually wasn't sat next to me. His daughter came with him that day because of some other people around us. We looked at each other for the first two goals. And normally if it's a big win, we do give each other a hug. Uh, and he, he, he sort of bowled himself uh, over her to give me a hug. And we just sort of fell on top of each other going, yes, it's three and it is happening. You could tell that in the celebrations and just the noise that, that it made when the um, when the third goal went in. That is when everyone started to believe. I was chuckling to myself thinking about how if I if I had been there 90 minutes and three, three goals to the good, I'd still be thinking we need another one. And I know my brother would have been exactly the 
same. And it's just one of those incredible games where, where you know, we've spoken about it already. The podcast has been, has been done on the Liverpool game, but it, it does bear talking about because such an incredible performance. And But you were there in uh, Vicarage Road and had that sort of first-hand experience. But because I was slightly removed from it, I've got a chance to step back and just see straight away just the size of the ripples in the footballing world that that, that result caused. And I say ripples, they were more tidal waves. I mean, just absolutely everybody was talking about it had a friend who is on on uh, in transit on his way over to canada he had a layover in la and he said everyone is talking about watford in la he said that it's the most surreal thing ever turn on any radio station turn on any news station and you didn't have to wait very long for for watford to be mentioned uh, and, and their amazing triumph and what i loved about it but hearing about it secondhand because usually we we sort of bemoan the fact that Watford don't get the credit they deserve when when they get when they get a result like this. Not a bit of it. Everyone, whether it is national, uh, local, whether it is fellow fans on on social media, everyone was saying that Watford absolutely demolished Liverpool, and it just quickly became apparent. It's just this seismic event. And being away from Vicarage Road, I could see it just sort of unfold. It was all like a, a news juggernaut um, created by Watford. And it was, uh, you know, obviously I wish I was there, but it was, was absolutely fascinating just to see just how big a story this was outside uh, outside Hertfordshire. It was incredible. What a day. As we know, this podcast is part of The Athletic and Adam Leventhal is the, the Watford correspondent for The Athletic. Uh, we hear from him a bit later on. But in an article this week, Mike, Adam said... It is the greatest Watford performance ever. And I am finding it a bit hard to disagree with him. I know there have been some fantastic games. What games do you think could possibly, possibly beat that performance? It's difficult, isn't it? It's just the criteria is is so high with this one. So it's you look back and instantly you're thinking, well, actually, this one probably is better. But there's been a lot recently, haven't there? I think the instant the instant one, the most recent one, is the Wolves semi-final. Another game I missed, I hasten to add. So um, <laughs> it's been no surprise to me that there's been polls on Twitter, should Mike stay or go? Someone has said they've started a crowdfunder to send me into uh, Antarctica till the end of the season. So thanks very much for that. But yeah, that Wolves game obviously springs to mind, doesn't it? Because it was such a, a powerful performance to come back into that game on such a high stakes one-off game. But it wasn't a total performance because well, that's we, right, yeah, we, yeah. we let two goals in. And then going back a little bit further than that, I think you t- we were talking about the atmosphere at Vicarage Road when the third goal went in. What about the atmosphere when Troy Deeney scored that incredible goal against against Leicester and perhaps over the, the two legs of those playoff performances, were they up there into you know they were unlucky away at Leicester and then to turn it around in incredible circumstances at, at Watford I don't know whether that that counts one that's one that I thought about and is a bit out of left field because I, I, I did start thinking about the the Blackpool game and again that's not wasn't a great complete performance was it the year we got promoted we were 2-0 down and then there was three quarters of a pretty impressive performance we went on to win the game 7-2 but I wonder whether the game against Middlesbrough that year where it's very very high stakes if you remember the the state of the championship was incredibly tight at the top it was so claustrophobic we think this relegation battle is uh, is tough and going to go down to the wire that that race for the, the Premier League was absolutely extraordinary and we were at home to Middlesbrough I think it was on TV I think it was the early kickoff, and Watford won 2-0 and Ovegalo scored and I remember the noise when that second goal went in it was just febrile it was so noisy and I think it capped off one of the most professional performances from a Watford team I, I've ever seen and I think that was the day that I started to believe that, that Watford were going to win promotion they did exactly what they had to do in 
workman light doesn't really do it justice but it was they turned up got the job done as if they knew they were going to do it there was confidence coursing through their veins and and that sort of set them on the on the path of the premier league where where we are today allowing us to have that that terrific performance uh, against liverpool i suppose the one thing that that result didn't have uh, was the fact it was against the world and european champions <laughs> um but i think like you say that this game will mean even even more if it is the start of a run-in uh, where we uh, we stay safe uh, in the Premier League and maybe stay safe even quicker. We're the Orns, you're the Orns. Come on, you Orns! Another part of these preview podcasts that will come out at the end of the week, normally out late on a Thursday, but definitely ready for your Friday morning commute into work, is we like to speak to some of the other correspondents the Athletic have. Each Premier League side has a correspondent. And this week I spoke to Matt Woosnam, who is the Crystal Palace correspondent. And of course, of course, a certain player came up in our conversations. So Matt... Many Watford fans feel this is going to be a rivalry. How do Palace fans feel towards Watford fans? I think Palace fans, some people see it as a little bit of a heated game and an, a sort of more important game that they want to win, but they don't really see it as a rivalry per se. It's one of those weird things. It's almost like the Wilfred Saha thing. <laughs> yes. If you take him away, suddenly the game isn't so spicy. For example, if Saha left in the summer, the next game between Palace and Watford wouldn't really be that spicy as such. So I think that's kind of the, the best way to put it, really. It's the, the Wilfred Saha game. Yeah, maybe, maybe you're absolutely right. I mean, the, you know, he, he did get the penalty uh, against us in the playoff final. And we have had some incidents, particularly with Harry Hornet, um, I think really sort of spice things up. But is that something that he has? And I mean, I know this week he's spoken after the Brighton game uh, about sort of how he is being approached. And it real feels like to me from, you know, I am on the outside of it all and, you know, we, we think about him twice a season. But he reacts and he sort of creates this himself quite a bit and it's almost like he hasn't quite grown up enough yet. For Palace fans, like, it's part of his charm almost. Like, it wouldn't be, he wouldn't be as important and as good and as loved if he didn't show his emotions so openly on the pitch. Of course, it can be frustrating for Palace fans to see him sort of get so wound up so easily. And anyone can see that he does get wound up pretty easily. And I can see what you're saying about sort of that level of maturity. And I think it's just one of those things where he's so good and he just wants to win and he wants to do well and he does it. He just hates being fouled or you know, having rough treatment so much that, and he, he probably doesn't feel that he gets enough support from referees. It is kind of almost like a school playground kind of thing or a Sunday league kind of thing where you get fouled or you get clattered and you don't get the decision. You're the best player, but everyone's just targeting you. No one's supporting you, no one's helping you. So just to do with how frustrated he gets, the more people see that it winds him up, the more they're going to do it. It probably started with Watford and what appears to be the hatred of him or even pantomime hatred because of the playoff final. But for example, James Ward-Prowse at Southampton, he gets inside Zaha's head because lately he's the one that's been doing that. In recent games between Southampton and Palace, Ward-Prowse has been inside Zaha's head winding him up. He got him sent off last season at St Mary's and ever since then he's just carried that on. 
So it's not just Watford and also like that game against Southampton now has a little bit more edge because of Ward Prowse, because of Sahar and Ward Prowse. So it's not just Watford, it is, again, coming back to my earlier point, it is Wilfred Sahar. We're bound to see him on uh, Saturday uh, down at your place. Where, where are we finding Palace? I know there was a, it was a, not an amazing game at, at Brighton, but there's lots going on around that game. You're not that far ahead of us, but you're probably just enough ahead of us uh, in terms of what you call safety in the Premier League. Where, where, where the, where's the team at, do you think, at the moment? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, they went, I think, I think it was uh, seven games without a win. Palestines were getting pretty downbeat, particularly with quite a few injuries. But generally speaking, things have been looking up a bit more lately against Newcastle and against Brighton. They kept clean sheets, whereas they had only had, um, I think it had been 11 games without a clean sheet as well. Stretching back actually to, I think, Watford on the 7th or 8th of December was the last time Palace kept a clean sheet before they kept a clean sheet against Newcastle a couple of weeks ago. But it seems like defensively they're starting to get back together again against both of those teams. I mean, admittedly, Newcastle haven't scored many goals this season. At the time, only Palace had scored fewer goals than Newcastle in the league. And Brighton hadn't won in 2020. So you're not coming up against particularly informed sides. But equally, keeping clean sheets against those teams is still a positive when you haven't kept a clean sheet in quite a long time. Offensively... Still, you know, not really scoring a lot of goals. Um, both 1-0 wins. It's nothing special, but they're tight and they're compact and they're not conceding goals. It feels a little bit like they've turned a corner suddenly. And also, whilst Roy Hodgson would never say it until it's mathematically certain, Palace are essentially safe from relegation now. So potentially there might be a little bit more in the way of offensive play, attacking play, slightly loosening the shackles. I wouldn't expect too much of that because it is still a Roy Hodgson team and that is generally how he sets up with players that he's got at his disposal who are relatively functional rather than particularly expansive. Generally, I think they seem to have turned a corner at the moment. Um, unfortunately, Schenk Tossen has suffered a potentially long-term knee problem, so he won't be available, but he hasn't been starting recently anyway. Christian Benteke looks to be back in a bit of form and Jordan Ayew has been steadily continuing his progress this season. I think Palace fans and maybe Palace in general will approach this in a positive manner. Do not scratch your ears. You're listening to From the Rookery End. To Mike, Zaha's not on full form. We know he can still have his moments how are you feeling going into to this game? Is it, I know I use the word rivalry with Matt, but is it a rivalry for you? I think so, yeah. I think the bottom line is I don't think either set of fans like each other. We've had a bit of history over the past couple of decades. You know, nothing unpleasant, but there have been big, important games between the two sides of us. And I think finally it's it started to become a little bit equal. We've, we've started to... Um, Get our own back. Palace beat us in the in the cup. They beat us in the in the playoffs. Um, we've had a couple of big uh, big wins over them recently as well. I just think yeah, it's relatively close in ter- terms of proximity. It's a, it's an easy journey for us as Watford fans to get to Selhurst Park. And yeah, there is that little bit of needle. I mean, it's not a derby in the truest sense of the word. It's not Watford Luton and it's not Crystal Palace 
Brighton. But I don't think you have to be a traditional rival um, for there to be the sort of extra edge to the games. And there, there certainly is, I think, amongst amongst fans. They would have been absolutely furious to see us beat Liverpool so so comfortably on uh, on Saturday afternoon. They'll be wanting to to stick a pin in our in our balloon because. Really, and I know everyone will have said it, fans will have said it to themselves, they'd have been saying it at the training ground. Uh, beating Liverpool means absolutely nothing if they don't use it and pick up some momentum. Uh, and that starts again at Crystal Palace on, on Saturday. It's going to be a very, very tough game. They're flying high after after a win away at Brighton. You know, that, that is their big game, so they'll be full of confidence as well. They're safe in the in the Premier League, aren't they? And, and while they are not in the, in the best of form, it's always a, a very, very difficult place to go. So... In funny sort of way, there's almost more pressure on it now because what they will not want to do and what we don't want to see happen is that that Liverpool game goes to waste. We've rightly been enjoying it. We've rightly been wringing absolutely last every last second of joy out of it. You know, Watford, the club, have been putting out loads of lovely video this week, which has been fantastic to see and, and quite right too. As supporters, you know, if it is the greatest performance we've ever seen in, in Watford's history, then why wouldn't we want to see it, see all about it? But now the focus has to be on Crystal Palace. We still have a job to do. There's 10 games left of the season and we still need to win three or four of those games. Uh, we've only won six all season. You know, I've said it a lot on the podcast. We've still got a lot of work to do and what we can't afford to do, how heartbreaking would it be for that Liverpool win to mean nothing? So, Going to Palace is extraordinarily difficult. Uh, we're going to have to set up slightly differently, obviously in personnel, but also the cat is well and truly out of the bag when it comes to Ismail Assar, isn't it now? I mean, we were all looking forward to him getting back and hoping he could make an impact. Well, crikey, I don't think he, anyone could have expected quite what, what sort of impact he was going to make. So Crystal Palace will set up accordingly. I think we're going to face a new set of challenges for this last these last 10 games. They will set up to, like Watford have set up to deal with, with Wilf Zaha one way or another, Crystal Palace will, will set up to, to, to deal with Ismail Assar, whether they can or not it remains to be seen so lots of challenges um, that, that have arisen as a result of that that Liverpool game but fascinating and no wiggle room we've just no excuses they've shown what they can do haven't they they've given them given themselves no get out now we've seen what this team can do they've absolutely annihilated Liverpool now they need to prove they can do it on what is the equivalent of a of a wet Tuesday night in Stoke it can't be after the Lord Mayor's show they need to keep that momentum up but probably it's a, it's just a very very difficult place to go, isn't it? It is, and we were without a, a certain little Spaniard, uh, and we're not just going to be out for this game, uh, but it's going to be the rest of the season, and and probably well into uh, next season with Gerard Delafeu going off with that that knee in injury, uh, and it was as uh, as bad as we all uh, hoped it wasn't. Yeah, I mean it's just so so distressing, isn't it? On a, on a number of levels. I mean, from a take the footballing point of view to start to, to start with. What an impact uh, Nigel Pearson has had on Gerard Delafeu since he came in, and in turn, what an impact uh, Delafeu has had on the side. He's looked a changed man, I think it's fair to say, and he was causing Liverpool no end of uh, of problems. And I think it was a foul from Virgil Van Dijk. I think it was that gets overlooked. Um, it wasn't given at the time, but you knew straight away, didn't you, seeing it that 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 something wasn't right. And unfortunately, it's it's transpired that you're looking at a minimum of six months, possibly as much as nine months or even more. Adam's article in the in the Athletic, which went live this week, has said he's, he's headed off to, to Barcelona with the club's blessing to get himself checked out there and there'll be exploratory work first just to assess the, how bad the damage is because I think there is a sliding scale of quite how bad it could be and, and therefore how long the injury will, will keep him out of action for. You think about the football, but then quickly in that article it mentions how Jerry was obviously distraught at the time 
time and his instant worry was about his future and and that's where you have to look at injuries like this isn't it it's it's about him and you know his future his career his mental state as he as he as he tries to work back from what is obviously a, a horrifying injury for a, for a footballer so yes Watford will miss him yes Watford will face challenges without him but I think the the bottom line is our, our hearts go out to him all our good wishes thanks to him for his, his terrific um, impact on this on the season certainly since Nigel Pearson came in we'll miss him greatly but yeah, basically our best wishes go to him for a full and speedy recovery. It's going to be very, very difficult for him. He's shown that he's tenacious. He's shown that he's tough. And hopefully he can come back from this um, bigger and stronger than before. So yeah, on behalf of all of us, I think uh, from the Rookery end, best wishes to, to Gerard Delefeu and, and get well soon. Stay, stay strong. You wouldn't expect uh, anyone else to start ahead of him on, on Saturday, apart from Bobby P, Roberto Pereira. Um, but we'll see exactly what happens on Saturday. Uh, we'll be back with another podcast after the game, uh, where we'll discuss and reflect and see where Watford are at after another game against Zaha Palace, uh, Crystal Palace. John, Mike, thank you very much for handing over the baton. It is Adam Leventhal here. Now, normally on a Thursday, I would be in Nigel Pearson's news conference and I'd be able to uh, bring you a few clips from uh, what he's said ahead of the Crystal Palace game this weekend. However, today is slightly different because uh, lunchtime today, Thursday, on The Athletic, uh, I released an article regarding the club's plans to look into the possibility of moving away from Vicarage Road. Uh, So I just wanted to point you in the direction of that article, which is available for you now uh, on The Athletic. You will have seen, I'm sure, some buzz on social media around lunchtime. Uh, If you want to read it in full, it is there for you now on The Athletic. But I just wanted to give you a little bit of insight into how that came about. Uh, Basically, on Wednesday evening, uh, I received some images And then it was just a case of standing up the story, uh, speaking to various sources. uh, And uh, eventually I was able to then construct uh, the story which you're able to read about on The Athletic right now. I won't go through everything in the article. I don't want to spoil uh, the full reading experience for you. But basically, as I mentioned, the club are now sort of in the evaluating stage of looking at whether a proposed site uh, which is out to the east of the town uh, in Bushy is a site that they would look to move to in the future. And I think reading some of the comments on the article, uh, there's been not panic, but there has been uh, uh, quite a lot of feedback in terms of we don't need to move. We don't need a bigger stadium. Why are they concentrating on this now Uh, at a time when the club are in a relegation battle. And that is one of the things that has been pointed out in the article and something that I learned from uh, one of the sources that I spoke to, that it seems as if the focus very much now at the football club is simply to batten down the hatches and to focus on the here and now, these final 10 matches starting on Saturday against Crystal Palace. And any idea of moving away from Vicarage Road, it would be into the distant future anyway. So it's not an immediate plan to jump ship, build a fabricated stadium on a park in Bushy over the summer and we'll be there next season. This is something for the long term. And I think the focus in the here and now, as I mentioned, is uh, not on big future plans, but 
to make sure that everyone's focus, including the hierarchy, including the players, the management, everyone at the club is simply getting Watford out of relegation trouble. However, the fact that this sort of article is there shows that football clubs can't simply exist in the here and now, even when things aren't going badly on the football pitch. There has to be an element of future planning, looking at the longer term strategy of the football club. I'm not sure if it's going to play out exactly like this, but it appears the timetable very much is get this season done, hopefully with a positive outcome, and then start to genuinely look into the possibilities. And that includes obviously expanding Vicarage Road. And in the article, I referred to um, the fact that Gino Pozzo and that the Pozzo family have recent experience of redeveloping uh, the stadium in Udine, uh, the Stadio Fruili, um, where they actually deconstructed three sides of the stadium and rebuilt it. So effectively, they, they had a new stadium, but that was on the existing site. And I think having written about it in the past, I think it was around about October time, I wrote an article as to the the plans that are in place if Vicarage Road is to be uh, redeveloped. You can read that on the, on the Athletic as well if you wish. Um, but I think basically what it means is, yes, there is a proposal to move to a new site, but there are also plans to redevelop Vicarage Road. And I think that they're now in the evaluating stage uh, of deciding what course of action is best. Although many of the, the comments and the buzz on social media has been, oh no, we can't move. Oh no, do we need a big stadium? Oh, we're not going to be able to fill it. I think it's the club simply looking at all options at the moment and then deciding what the best course of action will be. Within the article, obviously, we go into the travel logistics that moving stadium would entail. And to be honest, looking at it, I don't think it would make a massive amount of difference in terms of fans travelling to the stadium. Uh, It's just basically the other side of town and uh, Watford Junction is almost slap bang in the middle. There's also a bushy station there and it seems there are plans to build pedestrian walkways and things like that. But I think when you look at the plans, you can see a future and you can see a, a snazzy, swanky new stadium. And I think a lot of fans start to think, well, I've been to many stadiums around the country that have become soulless and they're just empty bowls and clubs that play there have lost their identity and things like that. And those are all valid concerns, I think. And obviously the the attachment that fans will have with Vicarage Road, which has been Watford's home since 1922, is always going to be there. And I think with any club that moves away from their spiritual home, even you know Tottenham moving away from White Hart Lane, but effectively being in the same position, having a wonderful stadium, it takes some time to find that identity once again. So these are all challenges for the future, but I don't think this is something to uh, necessarily worry about in the next one or two years. In fact, there could even be you know further tinkers here and there uh, to Vicarage Road uh, in the shorter term and then still move to a new stadium in the future. So I hope you enjoy the article. I know the timing is probably not great uh, for the football club, but sometimes uh, the news agenda has to run on a different course. And uh, this one has dropped in the build-up to a football match. But hopefully under you know Nigel Pearson and with the players, they will see this as a, you know, a longer-term potential project and uh, it's not going to disrupt any preparations. And, you know, if you look at it 
in a way, uh, the fact that it is an exciting project, it puts Watford on the map um, in terms of bigger plans, grand plans, thinking global, thinking about expanding their revenues in various departments, potentially more commercial revenue, certainly more uh, match day revenue. This is a, this is a good thing, I suppose, for a club looking to uh, grow globally, um, but also grow for the fans that are coming week in, week out on match days and uh, making it a better match day experience. So it's a lot to take in, and I'm sure a lot of fans will um, be a little bit jittery. But I think, on balance, from my from my view as a journalist and also as a Watford fan to be considering moving away, whilst it would be emotional, I think would probably be a positive step for the the overall health of the football club. But I think there is a lot of water to go under the bridge before then. So you can read on The Athletic about the potential move to a new stadium. And also, I just wanted to point you in the direction of an article that I did uh, a little bit earlier on this week regarding Gerard Delafay. Obviously, it's a big blow uh, for him to be missing for at least six months And there's a bit of information in there regarding how he's going to go through the first stage of his recovery as he approaches having surgery, uh, heading over to Spain, having his family around him and things like that. And also considering who is uh, best to replace him as well. And that will all start at Crystal Palace on Saturday. Now, I know Mike and John will be discussing uh, the proposed move to a new stadium on the next podcast, and they will obviously be deconstructing the result of the game as well. Fingers crossed for that one. Uh, If you want to get involved with The Athletic, just a quick reminder, if you go to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end, you can have a seven-day trial, and uh, you will also get a 40% discount if you decide to subscribe. So get involved and you'll be able to read all the articles uh, that we mention and also a whole host of other articles about all the other teams in the Premier League, if you wish, and also if you're into US sports as well. uh, There's loads for you as well. Right, I am going to stay inside in the warm and uh, I hope all goes well at Selhurst Park on Saturday. We will see you after the game on the next From the Rookery End. Come on, you horns.